Wrestling with Theology is a weekly Bible study that seeks to equip you to wrestle with the theologies that surround us in our everyday life. Through these studies, your faith in Christ will be strengthened through the Scriptures and the Lutheran Confessions. Join Pastor Minton for these next few minutes as he helps you get ready to wrestle with theology. for Wrestling with Theology once again. I am Pastor Doug Minton here in the Confessional Corner. And this month we are beginning our look at the apology, the defense of the Augsburg Confession. Given after the Lutherans were given, well, were read to the confutation from the Roman scholars and then said, um, nope, sorry, I can't do that. This does not actually get read. And in fact, when you see, if you look at it, it is quite lengthy, especially once we get into the articles that are really, really important to us, like Justification, Article 4, like Repentance, Article 12, and then all of the abuses starting in, uh, really, Article 21 with the Invocation of the Saints, as the Confutation makes that a major sticking point for the papal theologians. So today we're going to look at at least the introduction just to see what Melanchthon has to say in regards to this. There is a little bit of the history in here that we talked about the last couple of months as we talked the confutation. So let's look at what Melanchthon has to say as he introduces this defense of what Lutherans believe, teach, and confess from the very beginning of the Lutheran Reformation. Reading from Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions, the Reader's Edition from CPH, Philip Melanchthon presents his greeting to the reader. After our prince's confession was read publicly, certain theologians and monks prepared a confutation. His imperial majesty had it read in the assembly of the princes, then he demanded that the princes agree with it. Our princes heard that many articles were not approved, which they could not abandon without offense to conscience. Therefore they asked for a copy of the confutation, so they could see what the adversaries condemned and refute their arguments. In such an important matter of religion and the instruction of consciences, they thought that the adversaries would share their writing without any hesitation. But our princes could only get a copy under the most dangerous conditions, which were impossible for them to accept. Negotiations for peace were begun. It was clear that our princes avoided no burden, however grievous, that could be borne without offense to conscience. But the adversaries stubbornly demanded that we approve certain clear abuses and errors. Since we could not do this, his imperial majesty again demanded that our princes agree with the confutation. Our princes refused to do so. For in a matter of religion, how could our princes agree with a writing they had not seen, especially since they had heard some articles condemned? It was impossible for them, without grievous sin, to approve the adversary's opinions. They commanded me and some others to prepare an apology of the confession. This would be set forth for His Imperial Majesty the reasons why we could not receive the confutation. The adversary's objections would also be refuted. During the reading of the confutation, some of us had taken down the chief points of the topics and arguments. 
The princes offered this defense to his imperial majesty when they left Augsburg, so that he would know that we were hindered from approving the confutation by the greatest and most important reason. But his imperial majesty did not receive the offered writing. Afterward, a decree was published in which the adversaries boast that they have refuted our confession from the scriptures. Reader, you now have our apology. From it, you will understand not only what the adversaries said about our confession, for we have reported in good faith, but also that, contrary to the clear scripture of the Holy Spirit, they condemned several articles. That is how far they are from overthrowing our statements by means of the scriptures. Originally, we drew up the apology after consulting with others. Yet, as it passed through the press, I made some additions. That is why I give my name, so that no one can complain that the book has been published anonymously. In these controversies, as far as I was able at all, it has always been my custom to keep the traditional form of doctrine. I did this so that at some time unity could be reached more readily. I am not departing far from this custom now, even though I could justly lead people today even farther away from the opinions of the adversaries. The adversaries are dealing with these issues in a way that shows they are seeking neither truth nor concord, but to drain our blood. I have written with the greatest moderation possible. If any expression appears too severe, I must say that I am arguing with the theologians and monks who wrote the confutation, not with the emperor or the princes whom I hold in high esteem. I recently saw the confutation and noticed how cunningly and slanderously it was written so that on some points it could deceive even the cautious. Yet I did not discuss all their sophistries, for it would be an endless task. Instead, I deal with the chief arguments, so that all nations will have a clear testimony from us that we hold the gospel of Christ correctly and piously. Disagreement does not delight us, neither are we indifferent to our danger. We readily understand the extent of it when we see how inflamed our adversaries are by bitterness and hatred. Yet we cannot abandon truth that is clear and necessary for the church. That is why we believe that troubles and dangers for Christ's glory and the church's good should be endured. We are confident that God approves our faithfulness to duty. We hope that the judgment of future generations about us will be more just. It is undeniable that many topics of Christian doctrine, whose place in the church is most important, have been brought to view and explained by our theologians. We are not inclined to repeat here under what sort of opinions and how dangerously these topics used to lay buried in the writings of the monks, canonists, and sophistic theologians. We have the public testimony of many good men who give thanks to God for this great blessing, our confession teaches many necessary things better than any of our adversaries' books. We will commend our cause to Christ, who will someday judge these controversies. We beg him to look upon the afflicted and scattered churches and to bring him back to godly and continuous harmony. So far the greeting. Melanchthon begins his apology with an appeal to the Holy Roman Emperor. He follows the standard practice of many of the church fathers before him by greeting his personal audience. He wrote this specifically for Emperor Charles V. However, Charles would not receive it. In the greeting, he explains the circumstances for this document, why this document comes into being. Much of the history of the preparation is documented, even though Charles was at the Diet of Augsburg, where both the Confession and the Confutation were publicly read. 
As Melanchthon writes the Apology, he seeks to stress that there are papal condemnations that cannot be changed without damaging the conscience, including the fact that what we have finally is really two versions of the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. One called the Quattro, which was the original, one called the Octavo, which is the expanded one that he talks about as it was going to the press. He made some changes to it. He expanded some things. And as he saw, finally, a bootleg copy of the confutation, that he had to add even more things. So if you get one of the annotated versions of the, of the Book of Concord, you will see both segments there. And sometimes, especially with like Kolb Wingert from 2000, you will have the octavo, the extended version, in uh, italic print so that you can show that this is what was added after he saw either what was coming off the press or what he had seen in the confutation once they finally found a copy of it. I mean, and this happens all the time. You have pastors who write sermons and they're done with it, get ready to go in, but something in the service or something right before service brings out something else that they want to bring in, so they change it around, sometimes even on the fly, and just ad-lib extra paragraphs and extra minutes of their... Nothing wrong with that. The problem is when the pastor decides to get up and ad-lib the entire thing. But Melanchthon shows that he went through very cautious, deliberate labor in order to make sure that this apology, this defense, truly defended the word that they had spoken in the confession from the scriptures. Not just going into philo philosophical and sophistry, uh, rhetorical arguments, but actually going to the source where we need to go in order to make the Lutheran points better. Now we move into the first article of the Apology, which corresponds with the first article of the Confession, the Article on God. Our adversaries approve Article 1 of our Confession, in which we declare that we believe and teach that there is one divine, undivided essence. Yet there are three distinct persons of the same divine essence and co-eternal, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We have always taught and defended this article. We believe that it has sure and firm testimonies in Holy Scripture that cannot be overthrown. We constantly affirm that those thinking otherwise are outside of Christ's church, are idolaters, and insult God. Okay, so thankfully I got through the recording of the first article as I try to do these raw and semi-live before the retest of the, uh, of the tornado siren came through again. So you got a little bit of that before I hit the pause button. But we're at the end of Article 1. And of course, the Roman theologians are not going to condemn the fact that Lutherans believe in the Holy Trinity. That there are there is one God with three persons, undivided essence, co-eternal, because that's their understanding as well. This is the first of many of the articles that they approve because there are some things that we definitely have common ground on. But we get into Article 2, as we'll do next month, because it's the first one where we have definite issues. Because, well, yes, while the Roman Catholic 
church, especially after the Council of Trent, uh, does believe in original sin, they have a completely different idea of what it's like. So we'll look at that next month as we go into the Apology of the Augsburg Confession even deeper. So this is a short one this month because I just wanted to get the taste in there. But next week, it is Pro Wrestling America. Two weeks from now is Digging Deeper, going into the, I believe it's the uh, uh, Altar of Burnt Offering, the main thing that the people of Israel would see, the main thing that focuses what is happening at the tabernacle, so that the people know, okay, this is where salvation is promised, which is where we still have the promise of salvation. But we'll get into that at that point. Until next time, this is Pastor Doug Minton encouraging you to continue to listen to these podcasts, now having reached over 5,000 listens uh, throughout, whether it's been the Wrestling With Theology podcast episodes, whether it's been the Moments Meditation. I thank you for listening, and I hope that you will continue to be edified by my words and my work so that you may wrestle with theology every day. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions or comments about what you have heard on Wrestling With Theology, send an email to wrestlingwiththeology at gmail.com. If you have enjoyed this podcast, make sure you have subscribed so it will show up automatically on your podcast app. Please also share the podcast so that more may be equipped for Wrestle With Theology.